Usually, when we call someone a know-it-all, we intend it as an insult, don't we? And yet, take a look around the room that you are currently in. You'll see evidence that we all want to know it all. Perhaps it's an Alexa device in the corner. Maybe it's the Siri that's on your phone. I know, you're old school. It's the set of Encyclopedia Britannica up there on the top shelf of your bookcase. But we do, don't we? We all surround ourselves with places or people or, or products and peripherals that can turn our ignorance into knowledge, where we can go when it is that we want to know the answer. Where do you go when you want to know something? Maybe you've got one of those fountain of all knowledge friends. They always seem to recall the facts and the figures, the, the times and the dates that so often elude you. Perhaps you, like me, you don't like sitting there in ignorance too long, and no sooner has the question come to your mind than it's entered your fingertips and you've asked uh, one of the apps on your phone or Google. Did you know, for example, that Google, each and every single day, provides 1.5 billion answers to people? Every single day. That stat is probably way out of date by now as well. I think all of this shows at least three things. Number one, we are an ignorant bunch, aren't we? We have all got questions that we need answering. No, ma no matter how high our view of ourselves, we all come up short. Time after time after time, day after day after day, we always need to find out more. We're an ignorant bunch. Number two, it shows that we do have an insatiable thirst to have our gaps filled. No one's content just being there and not knowing. As soon as we realize we don't know something, we take action. We're prompted to move, to fill in the blanks of our understanding, aren't we? And the third thing it shows us, at least, is that the knowledge we desire can never be filled by search engines alone. Because we always have more questions. It doesn't matter if I find out what film that actor I'm seeing on the screen now has also been in. There's, there's another actor that's going to come up. There's a, there's a question about who directed something or who was in that film with them. It's, it's like a snowball effect. Search engines alone will never satisfy our hunger for knowledge. Throughout July, we were looking at the book of Proverbs together as a church. A book in which we're encouraged to pursue wisdom and understanding and knowledge about how to, to live life properly. And yet, we didn't mention this at the time, and yet, within that book itself is a warning. Do you see the person who is wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. That's Proverbs 26, verse 12. So what are we supposed to do then? Where are we supposed to turn? We're not supposed to think too much of our own knowledge. Alexa might have a lot of the answers, but definitely not all of them. We are supposed to grow in knowledge, but not to become proud. To think that we've attained fullness of knowledge. To believe that we know it all. 
It is an insult when you call someone that. But does anyone really know it all? And if someone claimed to know it all, would that be a warning sign for us? Or would it be a good thing? Well, thankfully, when we turn to the God of our Bibles, we find a portrait of one who does know it all. And it's a great thing. It's wonderful news for us. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the book of Job, while Job is contemplating the nature of life and his existence, his close friend Elihu pointed at him in a certain direction. And that direction was towards the God who, in his words, has perfect knowledge. When the Apostle John is discussing the disciples' life of imitating Christ, he reminds us that God is one who knows everything. 1 John 3.20 And as we heard from Psalm 147 when we began our service, the psalmist inviting us to join in with the right and proper praise of God, that invitation is made on the basis that God is one whose understanding has no limits. Of course, this isn't just seen in scripture, is it? Philosophically speaking, we quickly realise that this has to be the case. When you consider God is the one who sees all things, he must know all things too. In the book of Hebrews, the author writes that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It just makes sense that this is how it should be. Now, technically, this all-knowingness is classified as God's omniscience. It's a pretty obscure name that conceals something that is really wonderfully true. You know, it's excellent news for you and for me that God knows everything. Because it means that one thing that troubles us so often, our own ignorance, is not a worry. It's not a concern at all for our God. Isaiah 46 is one of my favourite chapters in scripture. It's a little bit obscure, but boy does it teach us this in spades. In it, God is laying bare just how bogus idols are, how useless false gods really are. And other than just showing plainly where they fall short, the chapter contrasts them with God himself and in the severity of their unmasking, the volume on him is turned up to 11. Now, during that comparison, we're given a glimpse into God's relationship with events as they unfold on earth. And this is what we're told. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Verses 9 to 10 in Isaiah 46. You see, God is incomparable in his being. He knows everything that has happened. He knows everything that is happening. He knows everything that will happen. Did you know, in the scriptures, in the book of Samuel, there's also a strong case to be made that God knows all things that have been, that are, that will be, and all things that could be. Check out the story of David and Caleb in 1 Samuel 23 if you like. God is one who knows all events. 
past, present, future and possible. So why is this good news then? Why is it good news for you and for me? You see, often our questions relate to the future, don't they? What will the weather be like tomorrow? Will house prices continue to go up? What will the interest rates do or utility prices? Will the treatment I'm receiving work? These are questions that we have about the future, blanks that we all desire to be filled in. And that's just life, isn't it? Throwing innumerable curveballs in our direction can fill us with dread, anxiety, confusion, distress in the not knowing. But a God who sees, a God who knows it all is never taken by surprise. Our Father in heaven is not left scratching his head. He's never caught off guard. He knows. And when we consider his knowledge in union with his wisdom, his power, his concern, his care, his love, that he has for all of his creation, let alone you and for me, then we can say with certainty that the God who knows all things is also at work in all things, for his own glory, certainly, but for the good of those who love him. But I think there's better news still, not just about God who knows what's going to happen, but God who knows us. Psalm 139, it's worth turning to and devouring in its entirety. Maybe that's something you can do with the rest of your Sunday. It's an extended meditation on how well God knows each and every one of us. But let me just quickly skim some of the highlights. It says that our God has searched us, knows us. That he knows every detail of our days, too far uh, a greater extent than any of us can even grasp. Such knowledge, it says, is too wonderful me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. God's knowledge of us isn't limited to a moment or a particular location. It pursues us wherever we may go. Go up to the heavens, down to the grave, to a great distance, to dark places. He is there. He sees. He knows. It says his knowledge predates even our births, extends on into every single one of our days here on earth. It says that it's mind-blowing how much God really knows us. It might be a bit terrifying too, it suggests, for those who are trying to hide their corrupt nature from him. But to those who trust in him, it says this is a wonderful thing, a good thing. And it's interesting that in the conclusion of this meditation, it's in essence a confession, a repentance, and it's anticipating the God who knows, also being the God who forgives. You see, we don't just struggle because we don't know. Many of our struggles, the source of so much angst in our lives, is a worry about things that we do know. That perhaps we might be known for who we really are. Or maybe it's a struggle in ourselves to come to terms with who we really are, deep down. Isn't that another truth? 
that we all try and bury secrets and live as if we're someone we're not. But the truth that God knows it all, that God knows us better even than we know ourselves, that he knows what's behind the, the facade, what's behind the mask, means that we can come to him and experience the freedom of confession and repentance. And when we come clean to God, a God who already knows, we're not doing it for his benefit, are we? We're doing it for our own. You see, God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who I am. He knows exactly who we are. And he knows what we need. That is why the Son stepped all the way down from glory into our brokenness. Why he who sustains the universe submitted himself to Pilate. Why he climbed up onto a Roman cross and willingly died. Because he already knew. He already knew exactly what we were like. What we would be like. And in love moved to do something about it. Where are you broken? He knows and he has come to fix it. Where are you lacking? Where are you empty? He knows. He has come to fill it. He knows what's required already and it's not put him off. We can't know everything. We can't. Good news is we don't need to know everything. Especially when we entrusted ourselves to the God who knows it all. Our God in Jesus. No matter the uncertainties we face or the shame that we might feel, our God already knows. So how do we respond to the good news that God already knows then? Well, I'm gonna suggest this. Let's begin by being open and honest with him. Open and honest with the one who already knows all things. Isn't it much easier to talk about stuff when you recognize that the person who you're talking to already knows? How about we share with him all of our hopes all of our dreams, all of our ambitions, the things that we're scared to say out loud in a positive sense. How about we share with him all of our struggles, all of our sins, all of our sorrows, all of the things we're scared to say out loud in a negative sense. I wanna finish by offering this challenge this week. Find a quiet spot, a quiet moment and a place each and every day for seven days and be open with God. Have that as the only agenda for this moment in your day. Be honest with the one who already knows it all. It doesn't all have to come out at once. In fact, that would make day two and day three a little bit awkward. But perhaps commit to being open and vulnerable every day for the next week in one area. One hope, one dream, one ambition, one struggle, one sin, one sorrow. See what difference it makes in your life. Name a hope. Name a fear. 
confess a sin, confess a struggle. You see, nothing that will come across your lips will shock or surprise or stupefy the always knowing omniscient God, will it? And he has already moved towards us in Jesus. But I tell you what, coming clean, confessing, being open, naming those things, it will help you. Because living in a world of worry, living in a world of shame, those aren't places where this all-knowing God wants us to be. It's not where he intends us to inhabit. So, if God really does know it all, that means this week we can and we should open up to him and experience the difference that that makes in our lives. Amen.